I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Those words are right out of our Bibles. They are from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. They are the beginning of the conclusion of a letter from a man named Paul to his protege named Timothy. And so if you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to turn there, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 8, which is if you're using those Bibles that Todd referred to earlier from chair racks in front of you. It's on page 996. 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 to 8. Bend your ear to sound teaching. Another way of saying that is commit yourself to listening to the truth of God's word. Commit yourself to listening to the truth of God's word. That has been a constant refrain, a constant exhortation as we've made our our way through this letter. That's part of God's holy word. As Bible-believing people, we have to constantly be reminding ourselves of this truth. The conditions that Paul warned Timothy were coming while we are living in that kind of climate now. And so we have to commit ourselves over and over again to endure sound teaching. We have to commit ourselves over and over again to listen to the truth. If we get lackadaisical about that, there is a distinct possibility that we might turn away from the truth and wander off into myths. And that right there is Paul's burden as he writes these words. Some of his very last written words to Timothy. Before he dies, before Paul dies, he wants to press this into Timothy and on the church all the way down through the centuries to where we find ourselves here today in this church, in this time. When Paul says the time is coming there in verse 3, well, included in that is the time that we are living in right now. Paul's burden for Timothy is God's burden for you, God's burden for our church. Those words are current and relevant. They're relevant first for me as a preacher That title, Bend Your Ear to Sound Teaching, it's sort of directed towards you, and that is implied in this message, as we'll see, but Paul is writing directly to Timothy as a preacher and as a teacher. And so this is a word for me and for our elders and any of us in our church or any of you 
that serve in any kind of way as a teacher or as a leader of men, of women, anyone who has a role in teaching the Word of God. Paul's burden as a dying man who's about to pass off the scene is that God's Word is proclaimed and taught. As teachers, we need to have these words pressed into us so that we do not forget them, especially when pressures come. And we will face pressures. Pressures just to to, to back off just a little bit. Pressures to back off on asserting the Bible's final authority on all matters of life and godliness. Pressures that say, you know, that the Bible is too old school when it comes to the issues of today, of our progressive and and now we're enlightened of this age in which we live in. Well, 2 Timothy 4 is a word for, first for preachers and teachers to not waver, to, to not equivocate, to, to preach and teach God's word faithfully, and to keep doing that as long as we have life and breath. But implied in that, and actually the warning for Timothy makes it more impl- explicit, is that we in the church will face pressure to not endure sound teaching. We in the church will be under this pressure. And the danger is that you turn away and wander off. That you back off from putting yourself under the authority of God's word. And so I want us to see and hear these words from that angle. And just to set our bearings again, especially for you who've been away a couple of weeks here and there over the summer, this letter is written by Paul, who is basically, while he's writing this, in solitary confinement, in a prison in Rome, prison from which he will not leave. He's basically been sentenced to death. He's been arrested in a, in a wave of Christian persecution by the Roman emperor. emperor. And because Paul was a leader of the, 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 what was called the sect of Christianity, he was arrested and put in solitary confinement so that he could not get the word out anymore, that he would be silenced. And you remember, it might, it was, he was arrested in that wave by the Roman emperor Nero, who was the emperor at that time, who basically blamed Christians for the fire, the great fire that he himself set in Rome. He didn't want to put the blame on himself, and the Christians were an easy target. But he gets, Paul gets this letter out to Timothy, his student and partner in ministry, who's over in another city called Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey, where Paul had given Timothy Uh, a special assignment to deal with a church that had lost its way, mostly due to false teachers that had infiltrated the church since Paul had left. It was a tough assignment for Timothy, and so Paul is writing here basically to tell him to, to stick with it, to stay at it, likely because he knew Timothy would be tempted to quit under such a difficult assignment. And so just sort of keep that background in mind as we go through these words here in 2 Timothy 4. and we've, we've made it here now to the climax of this letter. This is really Paul's last charge to Timothy. He's summarizing everything, he's putting it all together, and he's fixing to give him the last charge right here. It's his last word. It's that one thing that Paul wants Timothy to remember. And you can see right away the seriousness and the weightiness and the gravity of these words as he introduces what he's about to say there in verse 1. He could have just said, I charge you, preach the word. But he really wants to drive home how serious he is about that, 
by, by, by heightening this charge with divine backing. He wants to make sure that Timothy understands that this is not just some uh, man-to-man, guy-to-guy, buddy-to-buddy, you know, iron sharpens iron advice. He amps this up by saying, this is a word, not just from me to you, but this is a word from God himself. And not just God, but the Lord Jesus Christ. This charge comes with divine authority. I charge you, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who, by the way, is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in kingdom, and then he goes on to give the charge. This is just like the older sibling, the older brother, the older sister, telling the younger sister to do something. The conversation might go like this. The older one says to the younger one, you need to go and brush your teeth. The younger one comes back and wants to assert their own authority, as all humans do, don't want to be told what to do, and says, who says? Well, the older one comes and says, mommy says, and she's coming to check that you did it. And then, of course, the younger one's thinking, all right, I better brush my teeth post-haste. And here you have Paul bringing down the authority of God the Father and God the Son. And he reminds Timothy that Jesus will judge the living and the dead, that he's coming again, and that he's in charge. This is a serious and weighty word that Paul is leaving with Timothy. He wants to impress upon Timothy that he needs to listen to this and needs to do this. It's coming from Paul, his respected leader, who is writing with the authority of God. So what he's about to say is super important, and I think this probably did leave an indelible mark on Timothy. In Hebrews chapter 13, we actually find that Timothy had been in prison as well and had been released. And so Timothy really did follow Paul's advice and endured hardship, even to the point of prison, just like his mentor did. That charge starts there then in verse 2. And the charge is simply to preach the word. Preach the word. And we've seen this sort of thing over and over again in this letter. Paul reminds Timothy not to give up and not to let off. And this just isn't a matter of mustering up energy to keep going or to tell yourself that you just need to get at it. The power source is the word of God. It's the gospel. He's been pointing to this over and over again in this In the short little letter, chapter 1, verse 6, he says, Fan into flame the gift of God. In verse 13 of chapter 1, follow the pattern of sound words. In chapter 2, verse 14, remind them of these things. Chapter 3, verse 14, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. It's just this constant drilling it into Timothy to keep at it. And what's the content of what he's supposed to keep reminding them of? It's the word. Paul's encouragement can be punctuated by those words back in chapter 2, verse 9, which if we had a title for this whole sermon series would be this, that the word of God is not bound. The word of God is not bound. The word of God is not chained. The word of God is unstoppable. You can put preachers and teachers in prison. You can even tie them up. But you can't ever do that to the word of God precisely because it is the word of God. And we saw again last week back in chapter 3 where Paul reminds Timothy of the content of his message. From childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, in Jesus Christ. 
And by the way, that is a great truth. If you're at the point where you are seeking God but don't know exactly where to go to find out, to find him and to find out how to get saved through the Lord Jesus Christ. There might be people around that tell you that finding God is some sort of mystical experience where you just need to, to listen for him and to wait for God to show up or, or to wait to feel this sort of surge of energy or power. But here it says that for someone to gain the wisdom that will lead to salvation, they need to become acquainted with the sacred writings. Acquainted with the Bible. The Bible has the information that you need. And because the Bible is the very Word of God Himself, the Bible contains the power that you need. The Word of God has resurrection power. The power that's needed to bring a spiritually dead person, which is how the Bible sees those that are without Christ, the power that's needed to bring a spiritually dead person to life. How do we know that? Because if you just look back at chapter 3, verse 60, and a couple of verses back, all Scripture is breathed out by God. He reminds Timothy that these words are the very words of God himself, and our section is really the, the final strike of the nail in which Paul has been repeatedly hammering away at in this whole letter. I charge you with all the authority of heaven itself, preach the word. That's the charge to Timothy. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and instruction and so on. But I want to sort of look at this from our standpoint as as those of us who are part of the church and to think about why we're in church. What have you brought upon yourself by being here even this morning? What have you exposed yourself to by showing up here today and every week? What should you reasonably expect every time that you come to church? What should you expect as you come? And verse 2 helps us with that. And we saw Paul with all the gravity and selfishness that he can muster, or all the, the, the gravity and seriousness that he can muster up so that Timothy understands that this is of utmost importance, solemnly charges Timothy to preach the word. He actually gives five separate imperatives here in that verse. But the main one is the first one, to preach the word. The other ones kind of are supplements to that. So this is what you can and should expect when you come to church. This should be your reasonable expectation, should be your expectations of those who preach the word, of those who preach. They need to be preachers of the word. We do other things here during our worship service, as we've done this morning. We sing, we pray, we read scripture, we talk about um, in announcements, we talk about our fellowship, we talk about other ministries, we collect an offering. But even all those other parts, we always try to orient those around the Bible, around the Word. You could say it this way, we, we sing the Word, we pray the Word, we read the Word. But the part of the service that we give the most time to in our worship service is when we preach the Word. And we do that because of passages like this. These are our marching orders. And, of course, because of the example of, of Christ. 
the very first actions that he does is to preach the gospel. And so that's what we do. We follow our leader in that way, and we follow the instructions of God's word. So we do that because of passages like this, and there are others in the letter that Paul writes to the Colossian churches. Colossians 1.25, he talks about his own ministry and says that his ministry was a stewardship from God and that his main function was to make the word of God fully known. To make the word fully known. In Acts 20, verse 27, he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul never backed off from preaching the word of God. And not just his favorite parts. All of it. The whole counsel of God. And his aim in preaching the word was to preach Jesus Christ. And and especially the cross of Jesus Christ. As he famously says in 1 Corinthians 1.23, we preach Christ crucified. His aim is to preach the word and to highlight the glories of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, he says, We preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. What should you reasonably expect when you come to church? You should expect to hear the preaching of God's word. Further, you should hear it preached in season and out of season. Paul tells Timothy to be ready in season and out of season. That just means that regardless of the climate, we should want to hear the word preached. We should want to hear God's word in a favorable climate and when the climate is a little bit more hostile. Maybe especially when the climate is a little bit more hostile and unfavorable. What better time to hear God's word explained, what better time to hear from God himself than when we've been bombarded with anti-God talk all week. Whether that be in your work environment where God's name is repeatedly used in vain or carelessly. Or whether that be in the news or in the media where God and the Bible are, are, are continuously these days marginalized and attacked. Sometimes this is even more important. I say maybe it's more important when the time isn't favorable, when it's out of season, but sometimes it's even more important in season when the times are favorable. We can sometimes tend to, to take the word, don't we? We, we? we take it for granted to the point that we don't read it. We don't spend any time in it. And don't sometimes even have an appetite for knowing it. It is in those times other things start to creep in and to fill our space with other stuff. Lesser things. Paul puts it in Romans chapter 1. Priorities that have very little eternal value start to fill up the space that's in our lives when times are going well. At those times, Paul's next three words become very relevant. Reprove, rebuke, those are negative words, and exhort is more of a positive word with complete patience and teaching. At those times when we're just coasting along, when our lives begin to betray the fact that we have little need for God, it's those times when we need to be able to find at church someone who will bring God's word into our malaise and with both gentleness and firmness preach God's word in a way that stops us in our tracks and challenges us and warns us. Most times, that reproof And rebuke is not even intentional on the part of preachers. Preachers can't always know the condition 
of the hearers. They, they can't always know what's going on in people's lives or in their private Christian progress, if we want to put it that way, or lack of it. But as they get up just to preach the Word, the Spirit of God will, will take that part of the Word of God and use it to bring conviction and warning and reproof and rebuke. The Word of God will be effective to stop someone in their tracks and to rattle them up a little bit and to make them realize that they need to make an about-face and move in a direction toward God again rather than just sort of floating around, which generally is the wrong direction, away from God. Sometimes God's Word, it says here, will be used as a word of exhortation or encouragement. That word that's needed to to just come alongside someone and to give them a a, a needed encouragement from the Word of God. That might be just what you need as as you come to church and you hear the Word of God proclaimed. It might just even change from week to week. One week you might need a, a word of reproof and rebuke. The next week you might need a word of encouragement. God's Word can work in any of those ways to meet whatever need you have. It has that kind of effect. It's the wonder of God's word. It speaks into everyone's lives, wherever they're at. But brother and sister Christian, I want to encourage you today to commit yourself to sitting under the preaching of the word of God. You, you need the word. I need the word. On our part, our church leadership has, has committed ourselves to preach the word in season and out of season with all patience and teaching. And thankfully, that's been part of the history of this church for 90 years. To have a Bible-believing church with Bible-teaching preachers and teachers. And so whenever you make it here on a Lord's Day morning for Sunday school, for a worship service, Wednesday morning maybe, for ladies' time out, Friday night, for youth or for Awana, or our care groups, if you're in some kind of a smaller fellowship, maybe two or three people that meet together, over God's word, any of those places, any of our teaching ministries, you will hear the word of God proclaimed and taught. That is our commitment to you. And you need to hold us accountable to be doing that for you. Why? Why are we committed to the word of God? Why should we seek out the preaching of the word? Well, let's read verses 3 and 4 of this letter. This is one of the many reasons, but this is a good reason. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Paul's warning Timothy here that he's going to live in a climate where God's word is not welcomed where it will be pushed over to the margins, where people will no longer be able to take it. They'll no longer be able to take God's word and will actually start to tune out God's word and maybe even oppose God's word. But Paul warns about those first things, that people will not endure sound teaching. They'll tune it out. They'll bend their ears away from the truth. Back in chapter 3, he'd already warned Timothy that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty, And he gave there a laundry list, the beginning of chapter 3, of why things will be difficult, what kinds of people will be around, and what will make it difficult, chapter 3, verse 5, is that people will have the appearance of godliness, even. 
These kinds of people will arise from within the ranks. But they're described two verses later in chapter 3, verse 7 there as always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Can you imagine that? Always learning, but never able to get there. Never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. In other words, they hear, but they don't hear. They learn, but they don't learn. They can't get there. Somehow the blinders are still on. They're in church, yet they never arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Well, by the time we get to chapter 4, these people are already past that point. Now, you notice here that they're not even learning anymore. They will no longer endure sound teaching. And they're actually going to start pushing against it. How? Having itching ears, they're going to accumulate for themselves teachers. What kinds of teachers? Teachers that are going to suit their own passions. Teachers that will suit their own passions. Brothers and sisters, friends, we are in this time. This is increasingly the air that we live and breathe and in which we have our being. This is our current climate, is it not? People's ears are closed to the truth, and especially if they don't like the truth of God's word, they're just going to find people that they will want to hear. That's what this says. They'll find people that suit their own passions. And note this, in so doing, they're going to turn away from the truth. Turn away from the truth. And wander off into myths. So put that all together. People will, one, not endure sound teaching. They won't put up with what is sound. It actually means healthy. The word is hygiene here. They won't put up with healthy teaching. Number two, they're going to accumulate for themselves teachers that tickle their ears and suit their own passions. Notice the, 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 the selfishness there. For themselves, their own passions. They just want to find people that hear what they want to hear. Not that they're going to push them in any, or, or, or bring any sort of conviction. And number three, people will turn away from listening to the truth. That's a deadly trifecta. A tragic trifecta. And, that's, and, and what's the ev- inevitable result here? They'll turn away and wander off into myths. You've heard the myths. Right? Myths like evolution. Myths like gender reassignment which is really just turning out to be confusion and chaos taken to its very end. Myths like the whole prosperity theology, word of faith, health and wealth train wreck that's upsetting the faith of many. Talk about scratching people's itching ears. It's happy-sounding stuff spoken by happy-looking preachers. And yet it's ripe and rife with empty promises, temporal at best. Well, this idea of what comes into our ears shows up often in scriptures as a warning. Some just by experience and by example. Acts chapter 7 is almost exclusively, uh, the whole chapter of 50, almost 60 verses, I think, is a sermon by Stephen. But at the end of that sermon, he gets killed. you imagine? Preached so, such a difficult message for them to hear that they, they kill him with stones. says they couldn't stand to hear it. That's what led to it. They couldn't stand to hear it, literally. It says they covered their ears. So 
So you got a guy preaching and you got everybody sitting there going like this. They can't stand it. And then they rushed at him, threw him out of the city and stoned him. Their ears could not tolerate the truth. Or in Acts 17, we meet up with Paul in Athens. And here the audience is a little bit more, let's call it sophisticated, than guys with stones in their hands. It describes them there as people who spent their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. They, They liked having their ears tickled. But when Paul spoke, they say this. They say, you bring strange things to our ears. Strange things. Even way back in the day of Isaiah in the Old Testament, people were saying the same thing in chapter 30, verse 10. Do not prophesy to us what is right. Instead, speak to us smooth things. Speak to us pleasant things. That's what it says. Just look it up. Isaiah 30, verse 10. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. That's the issue, isn't it? People do not want to be confronted with truth about themselves. They do not want to be confronted with the Holy One. As long as you talk in general terms about smooth and pleasant things, it's all good. But you start to talk about holiness, you start to talk about the law, you start to talk about righteousness, you start to talk about sin, and people figuratively figuratively will put their hands over their ears. And all of it is an assault on God's word. Many of them will actually purport to be teaching God's word, but it doesn't stand up to the test. They'll inevitably do one of a number of things. One of the things they could do is pick and choose the, the parts of the Bible, just the parts that fit with their teaching, with their erroneous teaching. Or they'll cast doubt on the reliability of God's word. Or they'll say that the parts that don't agree with their particular bent are, are somehow antiquated and, and that the human writers were, were deficient. For example, Paul, they say, was a product of his own time, a chauvinist. That's why he says some of the things he does. Or that he was okay with slavery. And, and they extend that, they, they equalize the race-based slavery of the 17th and 18th, 19th century America with with the kind of more economic slavery that was there in Paul's day. Or they'll start to bring in different authorities that they say are equal to, but for all intents and purposes supersede God's word in terms of authority. Here I'm thinking about things like dreams or or visions or experiences. But those are subjective, experiential kind of things that that only serve to empty the power and sufficiency and authority of the Bible while elevating the authority of feelings and experiences. But I'm also thinking of extra-biblical stuff like papal pronouncements and so-called sacred writings that are put on par with the Bible. We could keep going, you know, there's another one I was going to mention is that they'll start to, to um, you know, sort of put Paul and Jesus in opposition to each other and say, you know, we should just listen, listen to the words of Jesus. So when Paul or Moses talks about things like homosexuality, well, you know, we put those ones aside and, 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 and then they start to put Jesus and anyone else that writes, in opposition to each other, as if they're saying different things. could be another way that people attack the Bible. 
But Paul's point here stands, and it's very relevant, isn't it? it? It's important that we recognize this and that we all work together to continue to elevate the power and the authority and the sufficiency of God's Word. God's Word, Peter says, gives us everything that we need for life and godliness. It is God's very Word. It is sufficient. It is perfect. And because it's from God, it carries along with it divine authority over anything else. The Word of God will not be bound. And so after he describes our current climate, Paul turns to Timothy and says, when you're in the face of people who will not endure sound teaching and who will literally turn their ears away and who will sometimes just leave, you have to double down on your commitment to the ministry of the Word. Don't shrink away from it. Double down on it. Verse 5, as for you, you can stop right there. This is the same way he introduced the section last week in chapter 3, verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, namely the sacred writings, which are the God-breathed scriptures. And here he says it again. As for you, in the face of all this that's coming, that's, that, that's pressing down in the other direction to, 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 to get you to want to quit or to get you to leave God's word and to teach something else that might tickle their ears, he says, don't do that. Continue. And here he says, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. That's really just a rapid-fire list, basically telling Timothy to stay with it. Don't let the reaction of people like that ever sway you from teaching and preaching the truth. Do not capitulate. Stay with it, even though the pressure is going to be immense. Even this week, we had one Christian university finally capitulate this week after being courageous for a long time. But now in the face of a court decision that went against them, they capitulated. But Paul's telling preachers and teachers and churches to stay with it, to keep preaching the word, to keep preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, which will be able to make people wise for salvation. Therein lies the power. He says, always be sober-minded. Basically, keep your head. Stay level-headed in the face of those people that are walking away. Don't let them deter you or dissuade you. Even though people will not endure it, even though people will leave, stay with it. Secondly, endure suffering. Some of that opposition might bring with it accusations, might bring with it personal attack, might bring with it all kinds of suffering. Paul tells them again to stick with it. Let them them hammer you for holding to the Scriptures, for holding up the Bible. Endure it. And then do the work of an evangelist. I think this just means here, don't let those people of verse 3 and 4 distract you from doing gospel work. Don't let them distract you from doing gospel work. Don't be so focused on those who don't listen that you neglect the lost. Those who desperately hear, need to hear the good news that Jesus came and died for sinners. And finally, he ends with that summary word, fulfill your ministry. It just means don't quit. Carry it through to completion as you are carried along by God from whom comes the power. If you're harboring some doubts that God is going to do that, Paul here holds himself up as an example. That's how he ends. By the grace of God, he made it. The time of his departure has come, but he has fought the good fight. He has finished the race. He has kept the faith. Paul is telling Timothy here, who's on the front end of this, 
keep going because it is worth it. It is eminently worth it. Even though he's stuck there in prison, he, know, he knows that there is laid up for him a, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord Jesus Christ will award him. And he adds then, not only him, but all those who have loved Christ, Christ's appearing. And so let's pray as a church and as a people who admittedly we are all sometimes swept up in the tide of culture that we keep our eyes focused on Christ's appearing. That when we see people abandoning sound teaching that we can block all of that out and that we can keep our eyes then fixed on Jesus Christ and the promise of his second coming. If we do that, We will be committed to the word of God and to the gospel. That is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Keep bending your ear to the word of God. Endure sound teaching. Keep listening to the truth. Don't drown it out. Don't cover your ears. Do that for the glory of Christ and for the sake of his church. Bow with me as we pray. Our Father, we thank you again that you speak and that you have spoken to us this morning through your word. And not only have you spoken, you have given us your word for time and eternity. And now you have made us your people, your church. You have made us stewards of your word. Your word is our stewardship. You have entrusted it to us. Help us to be faithful in holding it up. Help us to be faithful in guarding the deposit of your word and to preach your word. Help us, we pray, at the same time, our Father, not to be swept up by the tides and the the teachings of our world. Help us instead to be convinced that it is your truth that we need. Gives us the wisdom unto salvation and it gives us the wisdom that we need to to live our life in this kind of a climate. We want to affirm again, our Father, that we love your law, we love your word, we love your truth. May it continue to be, we pray, a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, the one who is the judge of the living and the dead, and the one who is the one who is coming back again. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.